2: Presented by
3: AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
0: This is Long Shots, VEASAN's premier golf betting podcast. Here's Matt Brown, Wes Reynolds, and Kelly Bidlin.
2: Hello and welcome to VEASAN's Long Shots. It is Matt Brown. It is Wes Reynolds. It is Kelly Bidlin. It is the Long Shots Award. The first annual. Well, I'm going to yeah. call annual. You guys annual. Are on annual. You guys are on the hook to do this next year. <laughs> No it, matter it, where we yeah, all are. Yeah, you, you guys are on the hook to do it next year, no matter what. Like, we'll just have to get together and we'll just do a, an award show about the golf season. Listen, the lots to look back on. And, you know, as I reflect kind of on the season and things that that went on, I mean, look, we, we learned about the designated events. We learned about how that might actually all work out. Pretty excited about what next season brings. Having to learn some more stuff with all these no-cut events and, and whatnot. And we had kind of different peaks and valleys throughout the course of the season west there was a time where we thought john rom teed it up was going to win every single tournament and then there was a time mm-hmm. where we thought scotty Scheffler was going to win every single tournament when he teed it up and then there was that time of wondering where some of these guys were going to show up and when if they were going to show up at all through the course of the season some of them didn't and so it, it was it was an interesting season but i do remember vividly kind of my my biggest memory and mainly because and you know who you are out there trolls who were going kelly do you remember all the all the why aren't you guys just betting John Rom every tournament? He wins right. every week, and like doesn't matter if it's five to one. Who cares? Yeah. It's only six to one. And we're like, yeah, that's probably not going to work. You know, if you bet a guy that's five to one, six to one, like it's probably not going to work out for you long term. And well, certainly, it would not have if you uh, would have just kept betting John Rom each and every week. But that that, that turned to me, into Schüller
3: real quick too.
2: Yeah, that turned <laughs> that. But that was a very interesting part of the season, West, where it did feel like though John yeah. Rom was going to win every tournament that he played.
1: Yeah, it did, and look, th- those same people that were saying why aren't you betting him every week were like, "Hey, what does he suck so bad?" Because you know, <laughs> because he struggled, I think, really in the second half of the season. Did not play well, did not really contend. So, you know, maybe maybe just got worn out a little bit uh, at, you know, as the season, because this is a long season now because it's so condensed and you have so many of the major championships together and then all the designated slash elevated signature, whatever you want to call them events. And, you know, I just think, guys, some guys get burned out late in the season and then some guys peak near the end of the season like Victor Hovland did.
2: Kelly, um, looking back over the course of the season, uh, one of the things I think too that that stands out to me a little bit of a bummer, you know, we lose Will Salatoris, Daniel Berger mm. never got going as well. Some of these other guys that kind of battled injuries all season long, it was a, a bit of a bummer from that standpoint because if you think about how deep golf is right now, and you think about how ridiculous it is every single week to try and pick a winner because so many of these guys are are playing so well. And then you forget that, oh, by the way, Berger was basically a top 20 machine for a long time. Mm -hmm. Will Salatoris was a top 10 machine for a long time. Two other guys that literally, if so long as health can can come back around, and we'll see with Berger, who looks like he's going to tee it up here pretty soon. Uh, Two more guys to just add in the mix each and every week of like, wow, these are really world-class players. And now it just makes golf even more deep.
3: Yeah, totally. That was—I uh, mean—it's been a real bummer with Berger. I, I think he's one of the better guys on tour, and at least while while I was ever uh, while I was able to cover the Honda Honda Classic on a year-in, year-out basis, he was one of my favorite guys to talk to. I think there's a. I, I don't think it would be very shocking, but for a lot of these guys that have grown up in country clubs and they think that they're stars, uh, when they are, you know, nine months into their uh, tour debut, they're not really friendly with some of the average Joe's <laughs> out there and, and media folk, but, uh, <laughs> Daniel Berger, I think will always separate himself because he, he, he did some fun little projects with us, uh, off to the side. So really looking forward to seeing him get back. And you're right. He is, you know, I know he's had a chronic back issue right now, and hopefully that can get cleared up and it doesn't, doesn't kind of nag him for the rest of his career. Cause I think that would be a bummer. And, and Zalatoris, I mean, we're talking about one of the, you know, hottest up and coming players that, you know, that we've seen in a while. So same thing. Like we could talk about how great the state state of golf is right now with all the, all the different talented players, but you never want, you don't ever want to lose out on the young guys that are coming up and playing really great golf. So um, yeah, tough, tough year from that standpoint, looking forward to seeing both those guys back as soon as possible. I think on the flip side of that though, you do have the stories of, you know, Jason Day and Ricky Fowler, right? Where it's been, you know, years of w- kind of waiting to see if these guys were going to come back and really be a strong thing ever again. And man, both of them, you know, both pick up wins this year and it you know, it, You know, if only we had a whole award
2: to give for something that you're right. talking about right now, like, you know, they, if we yeah. only uh, yeah, if only we had a whole award to give for the thing that you're talking about right Sorry. now. Why don't you save your words <laughs> for when it actually matters in the podcast there? Kelly. Uh, yeah, we'll get we'll get there. All right. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, Wes, before we do get, get into some of the other stuff throughout the course of the season, we did talk about the Ryder Cup. We said we'll have a Ryder Cup preview a- episode, which we will, but it is official now. We alluded to the fact that we thought that was a pretty decent chance that Justin Thomas and Sam Burns were going to get on for various reasons, right? The kind of locker mm-hmm. room camaraderie thing from the Justin Thomas side of things. We had heard leading into the days of the, of Zach Johnson's pick that Scotty Sheffield was lobbying very, very hard for his friend to get on the team. And sure enough, that is how it plays out. Colin Morikawa, Brooks Kepka, Ricky Fowler, Jordan Spieth, and of course, Justin Thomas and Sam Burns, as we just mentioned. That is your captain's picks for the Ryder Cup.
1: Yeah. And, and that's who I think we've thought that the team was going to be. But when I was looking, look at the Justin Thomas and Sam Burns, I think uh, got at least a little bit of discussion on the Twitter and on social media, but Justin Thomas is, is a demon though. When you look at match play, I think he was what, like 14, five, I'm trying to get his record right, but he has been terrific in terms of uh, of match play. So they're going on experience and look, Europe has always done that with Ian Poulter. How many times has Ian Poulter been in terrible form going into the Ryder Cup? And then all of a sudden he goes like four and one or five and oh in his matches. JT, by the way, 16, five and three all time in Ryder Cup and President's Cup matches. So that's why he gets on the team. Sam Burns, I think, natural fit with Scotty Scheffler in terms of the fact you got a guy struggling putting and you got a guy that's known for his putting. Now, can he keep it in the fairway? That's always kind of the question Mm -hmm. with Sam Burns. But really the only guy guys that I think had maybe a legitimate case or a legitimate gripe was Keegan Bradley. I think he was kind of the guy that my, what would be my most notable admission, mm-hmm. because if you look, there are other guys, but they had their chance to kind of play their way on the team. Tony right. Fee now had his chance. Mm-hmm. Cameron young had his chance. If this was last year, Cameron young would have been a lock for the Ryder cup team. Like Freddie couples was saying, but, uh, Cameron Young does not make the team, nor does Russell Henley, a couple other guys. But I felt Keegan Bradley had played really consistent golf this year. So he was the one I think that you could really make a case for. But by and large, I think this is a good team. And I know, you know, USA has not won over in Europe in 30 years. But one thing you also got to keep in mind. You don't have, like, Vaughn Taylor and J.J. Henry and Brett Wetterick and, uh, you know, my guy Jeff Overton from Indiana University. You don't have, like, those guys on this team. Like, Mm -hmm. this is – these are all 12 really accomplished players that have all won big events, whether they're major championships or players or WGCs. So, you know, this is a pretty darn good team, I think, that they're sending over there, even though not all 12 guys are in peak form right now.
2: Yeah, Kelly. I, I, you know, Keegan. I think the only guy we could make a case for here, but uh, look, it's it's one of those deals where I just don't, I just don't have any sort of gripe about what went down. I mean, if you look at it, this is still a team event. I mean, I, I understand golf is an individual sport. Is this is still a team event, and we hear all the time whether it's NFL, ba- baseball, basketball. This guy's a cancer in the locker room. This guy's the worst guy ever. Or we hear... This is a guy you want in the locker room. This is a guy you want around. He helps everybody. He picks up everybody else around him, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, there is that with Justin Thomas. Everybody likes him. He's friends with everybody in that room. And it's, I I think there is something to that. You're going to be going over there. You're going to another country. You're going to be sitting around. You probably want the dude in the room that everybody can look at. He's gonna make you laugh. He's gonna keep things lighthearted. He's gonna, he's a veteran of the tour. So he does have some some sage advice probably for some of the younger guys. I mean, like, there's just a lot to it. I just didn't have that big of a problem with it. I know some people were out there just like jumping up and down saying this is an outrage. And I, you know, if in in this particular format, the way they do the Ryder Cup, I get it. You know, I get it.
3: Yeah. It's uh it's not the team that I would have selected. Um, that's for sure. But To your point, and I think I saw Stephen Hennessy tweet this the other day, and it did bring things back into perspective a bit, because you're right, everybody's been raging about this, but it's, like, the European team does this, like, almost every time. Like, you talked about, Wes, it's like Ian Poulter, where you're on there, like, all the time, doesn't matter how well you're playing or not, Mm -hmm. like, they really feed off of that team camaraderie, so... Like, why, why are we treating it so differently? It was basically what he had to say in the tweet. And I was kind of like, you know, I've been one of those people that's been kind of fired up about the team. And I'm like, you know, that's a good point. I should probably calm down a little bit. And if, yes, I think if if the presence of Justin Thomas helps elevate the play of other players, then sure, great, go ahead. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, I think I would have gone another way. But you know what, like, like you said, Wes, I think there's guys that, The fact that Cameron Young and Tony Finau aren't on the team, I'm more more okay with letting Justin Thomas on the team. As long as you're not not stacking the whole team with like all three of those guys who are struggling like right now, that that would have been more of a problem.
1: And I think you have natural pairings now with the selections here. Of course we know Xander and Patrick Cantlay, uh, Spieth with Thomas, you would think a Homakawa, Max Homa, Colin Morikawa, Scheffler, Burns, and then uh, I would say Brooks and Ricky probably because they play down there at, at Metalist, and down at Seminole and Jupiter where they both live and they're good friends. And then the other two, Wyndham Clark and Brian Harmon kind of get paired off together. But that pairing may actually work, you know, yeah. long hitter with a deadly accurate hitter. So maybe that'll work for the two guys that nobody expected to be here.
2: Yeah, it is. It, it, it's very interesting. I know people are kind of up in arms about uh, about the whole Justin Thomas thing. It's like, you know... I kind of get it, though. You know, I mean, I I understand. Like, I I do. I kind of get it. It kind of makes some sense for me for sure. Uh, Guys, before we get into the awards, just a a quick recap kind of of our season. I was looking back. I mean, uh, as far as outrights went, I I don't know if this was an, an outlier for us. We had outrights. If we didn't hit outrights every tournament, damn near every week, we had at least someone in the mix. Now, there were some where we completely bricked, but, you know, we were looking more times than not we're, we're looking at some outrights here and certainly in some guys that were in the mix and in order to, to help us make some money. Right. I mean, it's one of those things, Wes, when when I look back over the course of this season, yeah, I'm still going to, I'm certainly going to look at some of these tournaments where I was just way off and completely bricked on them. I'm going to do some research and dig back in and kind of see where I went wrong. And maybe I didn't go wrong. Maybe it was just an outlier of a deal and uh, I'll do the same for the ones I won. Right. Did I get lucky? Is there something that, you know, I, I could still tweak along the way, but All in all, I think the process that we kind of brought this year kind of played out, right? I mean, like this Mm -hmm. isn't like a this isn't like, Hey, let's pat everybody on the back type deal. But I do believe that, you know, there was some pretty pretty solid analysis across the board here. Very few tournaments where we just completely whiffed on.
1: Yeah, and and look, in terms of like what stats and you know stuff we put into modeling to look at, you know, there's always that, you know, every every single week whatever tournament pops up, it's like, okay, did I weigh approach a little bit too much here last mm-hmm. year? You know, maybe so, and then looking at the numbers, but but look, basically I think by and large with these courses being the same unless there's like major renovations or major changes, you know, it's going to be the same stuff that you use. It's just maybe you weighted waited a little bit more differently, but look, I think the handicapping process was good. I think that this was a different calendar year in which to do it just because of all these elevated events. And now we're going to have more of these in terms of a, uh, in terms of the shorter fields. So, you know, how much do I want to do more in the placement markets than maybe, than maybe the outright markets. And, and look, if there's, if there's 80 players in a field, I'm not going to have like seven guys. I'm going to play maybe four or, mm-hmm. or something on an outright. So, you know, usually my average is about seven, maybe eight, if it's a 150, 160 full player field. But yeah, I, I think, I think the process was right. And, uh, you know, looking forward to a uh, next season and then just tinkering with some things. And that's what you always have to do.
2: Yeah. Kelly, if you, if you look back over your season, I mean, I, There are some things I definitely am going to hone in on a little bit more. Right. I mean, I'm, I, I think that there is some sort of, when I'm reading some of the things that I'm doing and ingesting some of the stuff of the content out there, I do maybe get a tad bit biased somewhere along the way. And I've got to try to be able to consume the information on these tournaments without kind of giving, you know, I listen to these guys that are out on the course and it's kind of like, yeah, but if they're telling me what the conditions are like on a Monday, that doesn't necessarily mean what the conditions are going to be like on Thursday or Friday and stuff. And so, you know, I, I, I might be taking some of this information and letting it kind of creep in and, and bias me a little bit. So I've got to try and maybe separate that a tad and stuff. So, uh, uh, certainly some stuff I will be working on next year for sure. But I think over the course of the last four years from a modeling standpoint, from a, what's important standpoint, from a zigging where people are zagging standpoint for us, trying to, to really kind of, uh, move, a lot more money into the head-to-head and placement market stuff. I think that you know, step in the steps in the right direction have been made for sure.
3: Yeah, for me, uh, for me overall, I mean, saw so, you know, pretty solid season when you talk matchups and finishing positions, and I mean, then another year that was kind of saved by first-round leader bets because it was, uh, uh, you know, really up until probably say up until this like end of this spring. I mean, it, we were talking about a, a year plus and Matt, you were around for a lot of them where it was over a do- over a dozen outright outrights that I had finished se- solo second in tournaments, uh, go- dating back a year. So, uh, that, that was rough. I think this is a, and I did not really hit that many outrights this summer. So I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm looking forward to just kind of getting back to it right away. I, I'm, I feel like I'm in that, in that spot of, uh, you know, like, like a, like a shooter. I, I just need to see the ball go in the cup, you know, like like Scotty Scheffler putting It feel it feels like that right now for me with the, uh, you know, we, as we're getting ready to do our award stuff and looking back through tournaments of the year and stuff. The it was a it was another gut punch again to to remember that out of three out of John Rom's four wins, I had the solo second place finisher outright tickets on this year. And then and then as you talked about, John Rom just kind of disappeared the second half of the season. So I, you know, I think, you know, weird things like that are going to happen in Benning. And it's uh you got to figure out how to get past them. That's for sure. All right, guys, so let's get into it. The first first annual I'm calling it. I'm doing it.
2: I'm going out on a <laughs> limb. First annual first annual long shot. Awards. I want to kick things off here with moment of the year. And Wes, as you kind of looked, what was the one biggest moment that really stood out to you over the course of the PGA tour season?
1: Mm. This was actually this was actually a very hard one for me because mm. it's like, is it a particular tournament or whatnot? But I guess uh, uh I guess my moment of the year uh would be, you know, just just looking and, and seeing uh, you know everything just kind of go away and I'm going to go to the open championship for this one. Mm -hmm. And it, and it wasn't that it was a close tournament. It wasn't like a signature shot. It was just seeing a guy that's been a career journeyman on the PGA tour. Mm -hmm. Not, not that he's never won and then just hold these guys off and everybody's, we're all waiting for him to collapse and he never does. So, you know, that was kind of the moment of the year to see a guy that's, you know, a middle-aged journeyman, mid to late thirties, get his signature win so uh brian harman winning the clara jug for me
3: kelly bidlin your moment of the year these were tough some of these were tough i had to write down a few i'm going with ricky fowler though winning the rocket mortgage just for ricky to get back with a win we had kind of been waiting on it um throughout the season him you know we saw him keep playing well and getting better and better and better and better and finally got that win. Um, you know, it doesn't in that playoff over, over Morikawa and Hadwin who both, you know, both are great players had good years. Um, so yeah, I think that, that was it for me. I did have Harmon on my short list with you, Wes. I think that was, uh, just, just damn impressive from a guy that we haven't put kind of up in the same category as some of these other golfers. But for me, Ricky Fowler winning rocket Mortgage. Yeah, for me, I
2: wanted to do an on-course thing and because I think the first thing that came to mind was the announcement of the PGA Tour and Live merger. It's like the moment of the year for me where it was just kind of like, like, oh, holy mackerel type thing. But I I did want to go with a more on-course thing, and this one really did sneak up on me. But, I mean, mine was actually Nick Taylor winning the Canadian Open, man. Like, he hits the 72-footer, it's the first time since a Canadian has won this its home turn his home national tournament since 1954. He yeah. hits a 72 footer. You got Corey Connor's waiting there, you got Mike Weir standing there, everybody over the, in the in the playoff over Tommy Fleetwood. You get Adam Habwood run out there get smashed by the security guard yes. like everything, like I mean like like everything about it was and it just really did. It snuck up on me like it would've been the last thing I would have considered that the RBC Canadian Open would have produced the moment of the year for me. But like to see just how prideful and how joyful all of those people were in that crowd that one of their own was winning for the first time since 1954 and the celebration that ensued afterwards and all of that and the way it all went down, even with the monster bomb putt in a a playoff, like everything all coming together. It really did sneak up on me, but the the RBC Canadian was actually my moment of the year.
3: I like it. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, All
2: right, so let's head to tournament of the year. Kelly Bidlin, start with you.
3: All right, I'll go US Open. I, US Open. Canadian Open was written down. I have I had four. I had four yeah. nominees for, for tournament of the year. And I did have Canadian Open written down for everything you just listed there. I'm going to US Open though. I think it was Wyndham Clark. Uh, you know, he had been coming on, coming on this year. You get you guys cash some big tickets on him. Um, but you know, you look at that leaderboard and to win a US Open and with the names sitting right behind you, just Rory, Scotty, Scheffler, Cameron Smith. Uh, man, I mean, I, I think that was the tournament of the year for me and really making Wyndham Clark, really making kind of his, his stamp on the PGA tour and and declaring himself. And I, not only is he here as a winner, but man, he's, he's here to win majors now too. Um, I that was damn impressive. That's t- that's tournament of the year for me. Wes, your tournament of the year.
1: Yeah. My short list was the RBC as well, even mm. though I wasn't the beneficiary of that having Tommy Fleetwood, mm. uh, that was on my list. But I went with one a little bit off the grid here that might not be as memorable based on who won, but I'm going with the Arnold Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill, because Mm -hmm. if you remember, that was one of the toughest courses of the year. It always is at Bay Hill. I think the score was 279 was the winner nine under par. And if you look at the names that you had up there, you had Rory McIlroy, you had Terrell Hatton, Scotty Scheffler, Patrick Cantlay, Jordan Spieth, Harris English, who is a proven winner on tour. And the unlikeliest winner of them all was Kurt Kitayama, who ends up winning, uh, uh, making that big putt on 17. I think he was like a 200 to one plus shot. So uh, just to have that condensed leaderboard, and it's like, okay, who's going to make the move here? Who's going to make like the first putt? It's kind of like the the, the guy that makes the first putt is going to win this thing, and it was Kurt Kitayama. So such a competitive event down there at Bay Hill. That's one of my favorite uh, events of the year anyway, and Kurt Kitayama gets it done at 200 to one.
2: Yeah, this is kind of a cop out for me, but I'm going to go ahead and and play the take the masters here. And, And mainly because you look at John Rahm, he goes out, he bogeys the first hole of the tournament. It's like, oh, okay. then John Rahm really did kind of solidify what was his early season dominance. Right. I mean, the guy comes back, fights back, shoots up the shoots up the rockets up the leaderboard. Also, if you just look at the leaderboard to me. Overall, I thought it was just an interesting leaderboard, which kind of also led me to this, where you're looking yeah. at Brooks Kepka, Phil, Phil Mickelson, Jordan Spieth, Patrick Reed, but then you have a Russell Henley, and you got Sahith Thagala, and you know all these guys like along that leaderboard. Gary Woodland ends up finishing in the top 14, along with all these other big names in Xander and Scotty and Fitzpatrick and Morikawa and, and all of that, but it really did to me, it was like that, it was really kind of the nail in the coffin there for that early season, wow, John Rahm is like on the way to maybe the most ridiculous season we've ever seen from a human ever. And then of course yeah. he did fall off. Like we mentioned, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it, uh, it didn't continue as long as as we would have liked it to, but man, that was a pretty memorable thing for me to see John Rom go out and do that again. And me go, Holy back. Are we in the middle of what may be the greatest golf season we've ever seen in history? But, uh, unfortunately we didn't get that out of John Rom this year, but still a pretty damn good season. Anyway, look at it.
3: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Any other nominees worth throwing out there? One of the other ones I wrote down was, uh, the
1: the RBC heritage was a good one with that mm -hmm. playoff with Matt Fitzpatrick and Jordan Spieth kind of going back and forth and Fitz just hits that. And and I almost use this for a moment of a year. Fitz like hits Mm -hmm. it to like two feet. And then they show the angle of, uh, Billy Foster, who is Matt Fitzpatrick's caddy is looking at the camera, like, kind of like, Oh, watch this. And then Matt Fitzpatrick Mm -hmm. hits it to like two feet and beat Speef, and that was a triumph for me so that's a little bit of bias but that was one that was considered as well yeah, yeah
3: i could I, get the, I, the I, Grio moment out of my head from <sighs> the charles schwab with the ball trickling down the stream remember that oh that's right or whatever like that that, yeah. that was another one i had written down
2: <laughs> and and look the, the it, it it's hard for me not to get it out of my head you know i mean like Brooks went in the PGA, like, you know, it's, it's one of those things where we're sitting here. Should these guys even be allowed to play? How are they going to look? These guys can't compete, et cetera, et cetera. And then Brooks goes out and, you know, beats Scheffler, beats Hovland, you know, beats these guys that are, that, that are right up there playing consistently each and every week. That one certainly kind of stuck out to me as well. All right, let's get into the most improved player and uh, Wes, let's start with you.
1: Yeah, to me, uh, and and look, there was a couple I considered, but to me, there was one that really stood out. And, you know, you could just look at the world ranking and kind of see, because I think, like, Adam Shank is very much honorable mention, uh, a couple other guys there. But, you know, for me, it's Wyndham Clark. I, I think clearly it's Wyndham Clark. He was 163 to end the year in the official world golf ranking. He is now a top 10 player in the world. Not just winning the U.S. Open, Mm -hmm. but winning the Wells Fargo against a major championship quality elevated event field. He's on the Ryder Cup team. And this was a guy that we were watching, and it was kind of like, you know, look, he's coming along. He's getting better. He's getting top 25s, top 20s, top 15s. And then all of a sudden, you know, he finally just broke through. And to see a guy with that big of a rise, uh, and and he's in a different class of player now. Now, is he going to go on and win, uh, you know, a ton of majors? I don't know. But I think that he, for at least the next couple of years, is a, you know, top third, top 20, top 30 player. So he's in a different class of guy now in the game.
2: Yep. For me, it was also Wyndham Clark. If you look at last season, he had no wins. He had no runner-ups. He only had three top tens. He only had seven Top twenty fives. Fast forward to this season, of course, two wins, eight top tens, fourteen top twenty fives. He only missed three cuts on tour. He made one point five million last year. He made ten point seven this year. W- Wyndham Clark, for me, most improved player.
3: Yeah, this was uh, tur- uh, tournament move of the year. were tough. This was not tough at all for me. This was Wyndham Clark uh, all the way. You guys just laid out every single reason why. I think what's also great about um you know having him for winning you know winning this award is uh you know most improved it's the the improvement jump from him and the guy's only still only 29 years old you know what i mean it's not mm-hmm. like we're talking about um you know someone in their late 30s or something like it's not like we're talking about Lucas Glover right you, you know for mm-hmm. having a couple of weeks this is a guy that we think or at least i think is hey i think he hit another level this year and i'm really excited to see what he does next year. You know what I mean? Does this kind of, does it plateau? Does it go back to him playing not as great golf or does he continue on this rise? And that's really what I'm excited to see. So I think this was an easy one, clean sweep Wyndham Clark all the way around.
2: Yeah. We, we knew there were going to be a few that were probably unanimous. I can only imagine this one fits the bill as well. player. Comeback player of the year for me, Ricky Fowler with a bullet. I mean, I guess a minimal little, like uh, a very, like it, it's podium, but it's like Ricky's one is like, he's like on the fifth story. And then like at the second, it would be Jason day. He did win a tournament this year, by the way, if people forgot that Jason day yeah. did get back in the winner's circle and, and all that, we thought that maybe he was kind of left for dead with all that back injury stuff that he had going on. But I mean, what we saw, from Ricky Fowler. I mean, we are talking a four year win drought, 96 starts before he was able to get back in the winner's circle. But it isn't just the win, right, guys? It's the fact that we look at Ricky and this guy was one of the most consistent players on tour all season long. And like that is that is no bias from our end. That is just literally the facts that we're looking at. Last year, this guy was written off for dead. He had one top 10. Last year. He had three top 25s last year. He had 18 top 25s this year. He had eight top 10s, a runner up, and a win. Of course, for for Ricky Fowler, Wes for me, this was super super easy, and honestly, one of the better stories I think in golf all season long was was Ricky's not only comeback, but the fact that he was able to be as consistent on a week to week basis as he was.
1: Yeah, and and that's my choice too as well, Ricky Fowler. You mentioned a couple of the honorable mentions: Jason Day, Lucas Glover. I'll throw one in for Justin Rose as well, mm. who had not won since 2019. He wins at Pebble Beach. He's now going to be back on the Ryder Cup team. And part of that is because, you know, he's like the last of that old guard generation, I think, in Europe of the over 40 guys because they've all gone to live. And Justin Rose stuck around on the PGA Tour, I think, because he wanted to make one last Ryder Cup team. So I'll give him honorable mention. But Ricky Fowler, I think, absolutely. Because Ricky, when you look, you know, he, he went with that new swing coach, John Tillery. It just didn't work out. And his swing was all out of whack. His game was just out of whack. So I think, you know, you know, you go home is where the heart is, I guess. And you go back to Butch Harmon, who he was with. And I just think there's a comfort level there. Yeah. Because I think when, when maybe you get a little bit stale, you want to like change everything right away. And sometimes change isn't always good. And, and, you know, Ricky Fowler gets back with Butch. I think Butch knows how to work with certain guys and he knows how to work with Ricky and, you know, got him thinking confident again. And, you know, now I think that Ricky just turned 30 and, you know, he's married and, you know, starting a family, you know, sometimes that changes guys, uh, you know, and, and changes their perspective a little bit. And I always felt Ricky kept it positive. You know, he didn't get down on himself. You know, he was always conciliatory, congratulatory to other guys and, you know, Mr. Congeniality here. But it was good to see him kind of get one uh, at that Rocket Mortgage Classic where he had that three-way playoff with Morikawa and Adam Hadwin where it's like, okay, this is finally his time. And it's like, I didn't bet it because the price was too low, but it's like, you knew, okay, this is the moment. This is the moment for Ricky Fowler where he is officially back.
2: Kelly, you take yeah. a look at, at Ricky. I mean, at at the at the end of the season last year, hundred and thirty third in strokes gained total. He was tenth this year in strokes gained total. I mean, the the transformation that we saw from him from year to year is, is pretty astonishing, and you know, almost as almost as big as a rise for him as a fall for that we saw from Justin Thomas right over the course of the season. Mm-hmm. But man, it was. Uh, it was cool. I know you and I several different times texting back and forth. We're, we're rooting for him kind of on the side, just from from everything that you hear. Just a a really, really great guy. Everybody loves the dude. And so good good to see him back kind of playing some good golf.
3: Yeah, I don't want to say this was as easy as Wyndham Clark for me. But yeah, it, it, it's Ricky Fowler three for three here again. I, I'm you know, I'm glad you guys brought up some of the other guys. I think Day Day was awesome at the beginning of the year to see him kind of get back into it unfortunate then it was you know he kind of hit that skid in the middle of the year but you know hey I think even as we're sitting here recapping the season to see what he did at the open and see that he was still able that there wasn't this complete drop off after him starting off the year finishing uh, you know what was he t2 in the open um you know that was great to see just to see that there was you know was a, a you know something still there and some really good golf still there from Jason Day at the end of the year I think that was great but you guys mentioned it mentioned the world golf ranking jump with Wyndham Clark and Ricky Fowler. Same thing. You're talking 25th or 103rd at the end of 2022. And he's sitting top 25 right now. Uh, Ricky Fowler in the world golf rankings. And and I think for a lot of, um, you know, for a year of golf where there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of things that have taken place off the course and, and not all great stories and a lot of turbulent stories, I would say this is, Ricky Fowler's always been right behind Tiger Woods over the past like 15 years of popularity on tour and what they, what he means for the game of golf. So for to have Ricky Fowler come back on the course and play this well, and for as long as he did, it was all season, right? Like that's the biggest thing. I think that's the biggest thing I want to seize on here where it's, you know, we talk about Rom and everything that run. And that's great, but even Rom kind of fizzled out towards the end of the year for what he, what we expect out of him. Ricky Fowler kept doing this week in and week out throughout the entirety of the season. So it, it's got to be him for me. Three for three, Ricky Fowler.
2: Kelly, I'm going to go right back at you. Um, rookie of the year. This yep. one also for me, fairly fairly easy. Unfortunately, I, I don't know if we're going to have a lot of debate on this one.
3: <laughs> uh, Eric Cole uh, yeah. would be mine. And yeah, yes, maybe this is boring all the way around. Yeah. Th- this one, I thought there you could make a case in other directions, but... I think same thing of Eric Cole, the longevity of what you know, what we saw early in the season from him at the Honda. I know you guys were on him at the Honda Classic. Uh, but you know, the the form that he was rounding into then and then really never, you know, dropped off from there. And, you know, where uh, you know, we hear all the stories about You know, he used to. You were hearing all the stories at the beginning of the year, how you know he used to caddy for Sam Saunders and stuff like this. And yeah, like you know, you're hearing those stories. You're not thinking about a guy that you're going to be hearing all season long. And he was there all season long. One of the better putters, one of one of the better short game guys on tour throughout this entirety of the season. You know, finishes with three top tens, ten top twenty fives on the season. Almost picked up a couple Ws. I got to be Eric Cole for me, and I think a great story from the. The other side of golf right what about those journeymen in the game and, and those guys that hang around and put in the effort put in the work and you could actually hit this point in your career in your mid-30s is pretty awesome yeah uh, Wes I don't know if people even know that
2: the minor league golf tour is, is an actual right. real, real thing but like it is a, a real thing and that's kind of where Eric Cole kind of cut his his teeth and and everything it's and so like you take a look and you're you're sitting there going it, certainly, there's no such thing as as the minor league, you know, golf tour, and there there is. Before he mm-hmm. was able to get on Corn Ferry mm-hmm. and stuff, and so you do, you look around and you you say, "Wow, Eric Cole, hey, guys, he is 35. He looks 27. I get it. Like right. I know yeah. you probably think he's that 35. he's 35. Yeah, he is 35. <laughs> the guys, whatever skin regimen he's on, like uh, seriously, yeah. I need to know like what's what's going on. Like the guy seriously looks like he's 27, but 35 years old. Uh, that's that's mine as well, Wes. I don't know if you have somebody different.
1: Yeah, and and look, uh. I, usually you would pick, okay, who are the rookies that won on the PGA Tour mm. this year? They both won alternate events. Nico Etcheverria won at the Puerto Rico Open. Uh, Vincent Norman uh, got there for me at the Barbasol. But it's Eric Cole. We're three for three here. And you know, it kind of reminds me, you're talking about the minor league golf tour where he actually won on this year. And he's actually playing these events on Mondays and (laughs) Tuesdays. And I felt like if you ever saw the movie Tin cup, where they go into like the production truck and the old legendary CBS producer that did golf for many years, Frank Tricinian is in there where he goes, somebody tell this clown, he doesn't have to hit it from there. (laughs) And I felt like saying that to Eric Cole, it's like, you don't got to play these events anymore, man. You don't have to play. You, have your PGA Tour card and 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 what clinched it for me for Eric Cole though was that he did make the top fifty. He mm-hmm. made the top fifty, made the BMW Championship, which means he's in all the elevated events. Of course, we remember he was in the playoff. We Matt and I had him at the Honda Classic. He loses to Chris Kirk in the playoff, uh, but. You know, Eric Cole, just a guy, you know, and that's what's cool about golf. Some guys, you know, they're like superstars, you know, or you could see the superstardom like the kid Ludwig Eberg, uh, who only played a couple events on the tour this year, is uh, actually playing over in Europe right now for the rest of the fall. But, you, you know, you could sense, hey, this kid's going to be a star. He's going to win a lot. And some guys do that, like, in their early 20s. And then some guys, man, they don't play well until their mid to late 30s mm-hmm. and they're late bloomers. And that's what Eric Cole is. So, Eric Cole, my rookie of the year for the 2022-2023 season.
2: I'm, Eric, I'm West Cole. You, Eric, but, Eric Cole, uh, Kelly, real quick. Eric yeah. Cole won one of these minor league golf events. He got $10,000 for winning it. He had thirteen different caches this year of eighty k or more. So like oh he had 30, <laughs> thirteen different caches on tour this year of eighty k or more. He won one of these minor league golf events. Won 10 k. Like, like oh, literally, yeah. It's just it's really is it really? Is he's awesome.
3: got he's got to be enjoying rolling around in his money right now more than more than Victor Hoblin is probably. Victor <laughs> yeah. expects this to happen like yeah. Eric Cole. Like this is, and I, I'm glad you brought up Vincent Norman though too, Wes, because I think this was. Was this an easy selection for me on Eric Cole? Yeah, but I'm not sure if we had two more months left to go in the season that right. I wouldn't be changing my selection. So yes, I think it's a good time for the season to end. Eric Cole, you are you are the rookie of the year, and the
2: moment you guys have all been waiting for—the drum roll as we go into it. Wes, let's get to it. Our first annual because we're doing it every year. Our first annual Long Shots Player of the Year. Wes Reynolds, who is your Player of the Year?
1: Well, I will go. Uh, I'll list my four finalists here. Uh, Wyndham Clark, I think you certainly have to consider. Uh, you know, top 10 player in the world, now a major champion winner. Uh, Victor Hovland, John Rahm, and Scotty Scheffler were my four finalists. And I went back and forth on this because if you look statistically, Scotty Scheffler has one of the great seasons on the PGA Tour. But yet he only wins twice. It's it's mm-hmm. it's amazing that he only won twice this year when you would have thought, okay, this is a four or five win season, even if he kind of plays mediocre. And uh, but but he ends up with two wins. Uh, John Rahm, I thought, very much peaked early. It looked like he was gonna have like a either a tiger or at least a Vijay Singh type season. Remember when VJ Singh mm-hmm. won nine times in a season and you felt like that was coming and Look, I always caution against this in any type of betting, you know, and don't be a prisoner of the moment. Don't go on what you see last. But my player of the year is going to be Victor Hovland, uh, uh, who finishes strong, wins the Memorial, wins uh, uh, two events in the FedEx Cup playoffs. Also, uh, never missed a cut this season. Didn't have as many top tens as Scotty Scheffler, so I can understand if somebody wants to go with Scotty. I wouldn't argue that. But I think that this is razor thin, and uh, I went with Victor Hovland.
2: Kelly Bidlin, do we have do we have a difference of opinion here on player of the year?
3: Yeah, we do. Um, Mm -hmm. We do. And I uh, absolutely respect the Hovland choice. I mean, I think when you look at wins this year, right, it's four for Rom, it's three for Hovland. And then you got a bunch of guys, you know, a bunch of guys at two. So going by wins, completely understand it. The wrong one just as you were, as you were bringing it up question for you guys real quick, you more surprised that Scotty Scheffler only won two events or that John Rums stopped after that fourth one.
2: Uh, probably Scotty because of yeah. the ridiculously historic numbers T to green, well, where it's like, if he could have putted, like even just in the 25th percentile of tournaments, instead of dead last, he probably would have at least won another event or two, yeah. but
3: it's like, you know, he was damn near dead last putting in like a lot of these events. I just don't know, like, and, and you did a great job breaking it down earlier, Matt. I just don't know if I would have believed you. If you would have told me after the Masters that John Rahm wasn't going to win again that se- this season, like, I just would not have believed that. I would have thought he got some severe injury. Anyways, uh, my player of the year is Scotty Scheffler. I, I, I'm sticking with Scheffler, and uh, like you said, Wes, I think you could go multiple different ways here. I don't think they're, I, I think John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler each had a chance to make this a very easy uh, you know, a very easy decision on who the player of the year was, but I don't know if either one of them really sees that opportunity uh, later in the year, but I will go with Scheffler, but I'm going to do it. I'm doing it for the pot. boys. I'm doing it for the pot because if we're going <laughs> to, if we're going to bank on our stats and we're going to bring up what our models say all the time. Well, I don't know about you guys, how many freaking models that I ran this year where that name Scotty Scheffler was just number one on every single one of them mm, that I ran up. from tournament after tournament after tournament. And yeah, what you know the the 17 top tens and what was Rory. Rory was second best with 13 this year? You got all that, you got the two wins, but the T to Green numbers, the historic T to green numbers that we saw, they're really only comparable to Tiger Woods. It is Scotty Scheffler for me. I wish he had another win or two. So I, I think that this argument would be pretty easy. But yeah. uh yes, it is Scotty Scheffler for the models, boys. For the models. It is uh it is awesome because
2: all three of ours were the top three for me, and I went wrong. So there, 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 <laughs> there, there we go. <laughs> and, and and I went wrong. And like the thing is, is I understand he did Peter out towards the end of the year, but four wins is four wins, in my opinion. You also you also did get an outright second at the Mexico Open. That at least was a little bit, you know, a couple of weeks later in april then you go down he did he was t10 at the u.s open he did it was a distant second don't get me wrong but he was second at the open championship as well and so that's kind of like out of sight out of mind because there was never a doubt as to who was going to win that tournament or anything but he he was second in that tournament as well um so for me it's just very hard with in my opinion with the depth that we have on pga tour right now to to be able to win four events in a year, much less like you come in a couple of seconds as well, along the way, the top tens and and all that with Rom, I can't get past. I mean, there was an outright third even at the, uh, at the waste management, you know? And so Mm -hmm. there's, there's things for me that I understand that work against him because he did stumble down the stretch, but what he did early, I just can't get past it because it was so just absolutely ridiculous. So unbelievable to me what he was able to accomplish. And so, John Rom. That being said, I think there's a case for all three of these dudes. I think that yeah. all three of these guys make perfect, perfectly good arguments for the discussion. And so I'm kind of glad that we all three went went different guys here because one more win, Kelly, and it would have been Scotty for me. Yeah. So what yeah. Like if he could have gotten me. the winner's circle one more time, mm-hmm. it would have been him for sure, just based off the complete body of work. But the four wins, the the outright you know, a couple of seconds, the outright third for for Rom and, and whatnot, the 10 at the US Open. Uh, gets it done for me for him,
1: and it all started. Which, uh, you know, I mean, I we have multiple bad beats, but mm. yeah, why well, we I gotta talk about it, Wes? I haven't yeah. forgotten yeah. about yeah. it yet. I, 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 I can't think of a worse <laughs> bad beat though than having a nine-shot lead during the final round in the opening event of the year uh, at the uh, at the uh, uh, Kapalua. Yeah. Don Marikawa up nine, so yeah, one man's collapse though was another man's triumph. John Rahm shot ten under par you right. know, yeah. to be able to, because remember John Rahm uh, lost to Cameron Smith the year before, and he shot 33 under at that event. Mm. He lost uh, to Smith who shot right. 34 under. So that was my bad beat of the year, but that's John Rahm usually starts well on that West coast swing too. He's very good at the American express. Mm. He's very good at Tory pines. Uh, you know, you would think he would contend at Scottsdale, even though he really hasn't very much, even though he's based down there, but I expect the same thing with Rom next year. I expect him to start very good on the West Coast. Swing. Yeah, I'm not,
3: yeah. I'm not worried about him bouncing back uh, in 2024. That's for sure. He's still, still one of the best golfers in the world. And Wes, that was, that was definitely one of those events in the moment you knew it was going to take a while to mentally get past. I, 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 am still waiting for that moment. I know. So, so I, I'm still know. waiting
1: that, to get past that. That one. just like doesn't <laughs> sit right with me because it was the first event of the year. It's like, man, I, I got this. And look, that was, I guess, my old takes exposed to the golf season. I felt Colin. I said Colin Morikawa was going to win multiple times here in twenty twenty three. Goose egg for yeah, uh, I, Colin I Morikawa. Mean, yeah, maybe, I did not expect that.
3: Maybe the upside of that result, Wes, was I, I kind of had to blackball Morikawa for a bit after it because I had all <laughs> these uh, w- winning questions in my mind after that. Maybe that ended up being, saving me a few bucks. Who knows? All
2: right, let's make some bold predictions. Uh, way too early, bold predictions as we head into to next season. Uh Kelly, your player of the year next year
3: is going to be who? Oof. Next season, player of the year will be Patrick Cantley. Really? Yeah. Man, I'm going with Cant- Cantlay. Cantley.
1: Going with Wes, Cantlay. Going with Wes with your your player offense.
2: of the year next year is gonna be who?
1: I will piggyback and say I do think Patrick Cantley is finally gonna win mm. a major you know, maybe even contend in one because he hasn't been able to <laughs> let's do start that. with that. One. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, uh, I know I'm not getting very uh, creative here, but Rory McIlroy, I think that major drought finally gets broken, could get broken at Augusta. I think maybe McIlroy and Hovland battling it out on Augusta. I could certainly see that the, the current European stalwart versus the future guy mm-hmm. that's going to carry Europe. Uh, so uh, Rory McIlroy, I think finally gets back in major championship form and becomes player of the year.
2: Mine is the most boring of all of y'all's because I'm going to guess that the best golfer in the world figures out how to make a friggin' eight foot putt. <laughs> and so at that point, I'm going to take Scotty Schiffer. I mean, like it, it honestly, it's baffling, right? I mean, it's just like, how can you be so incredibly amazing at every other facet of the game? By the way, like one of the things we don't talk about just because Rory is so ridiculously long off the tee now It's like under the radar, Scheffler's 335 off the tee every time now. Like like, like the guy is Mm -hmm. like ridiculously long. He's ball strikes where he he just can't make an eight footer. I mean, it's like at some point he's going to figure out how to make an eight foot putt. And then he's going to start winning tournaments by like six and seven strokes, like every single time. And so I'm going to be super, super boring and say Scotty Scheffler figures it out somehow, some way. The, to, to make some eight foot putts and we're going to be talking about maybe a historic season from Scotty Scheffler next year.
3: Yeah. We, we are, we're already talking first se- first season ever in the shot day era, at least for a guy to lead, uh, uh, lead the tour on strokes gained off the tee and on approach uh for Scheffler this year. So yeah, it's, it, it, it does. I'm, I'm with you, Matt. It does feel a little bit of, uh, unless he forgets how to swing a golf club somehow between <laughs> now and January. Yeah, you're, you're probably got the leader in the clubhouse right
2: now. <laughs> I mean, look, it's boring. <laughs> I get it. But geez, you just sit there and you look and you're just like, God, he does everything perfectly except putt. Like, how, like, come on. You work out every putter that you've ever on oh, the face of the planet. Go get lessons <laughs> from Lucas Glover with the damn broomstick or what? I don't care. Like, just figure out how to make an eight footer. And let's, let, let's get it done, uh, Scotty Scheffler. I'm, I'm ready for some history along the way. Guys, it's been an absolutely amazing season here on Long Shot. It's been awesome doing the live shows even over on the network as well. And, of course, we will continue on. We'll have a Ryder Cup preview and and some of the events in the fall as well. We'll be putting some special editions out and maybe even just some filling in some weeks with some interviews of some personalities within the sport as well. So be sure and check out for all of that stuff. But as a, as a trio each and every week, this probably will be our, our, our last one of the year. So Wes, it's been a pleasure, man. Kelly's been a pleasure. I really do enjoy learning from each other on this as well. I'm trying to figure out, you know, the, the riddle that is, you know, picking one guy out of 150 to win a freaking golf tournament each and every week, you know? So, uh, it's been awesome. And, uh, I can't wait for, can't wait for next season for sure.
3: Hell yeah. And thanks to everybody out there that's listened and uh, rated, reviewed, get left comments, any of that. We appreciate all that. That helps us out big time. I I Um, see people all the time.
1: All the time outside of our, our various studios and people around. Hey, man, we really love long shots, dude. I listen like every week. I mean, uh, 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 the former Reds GM who appears on Beeson as a guest, Wayne Kripsky, is like, I just follow you guys. Because it seems like Wayne gets the, uh, the winner every week and he picks up something from one of each of us. I'm like, dude, I need to be following you. He's like, no, man, I just listen to you guys and, you know, been cashing tickets, which is yeah. from what I hear is what it's all about.
2: <laughs> yeah, that is that is what that's what Word the on the street. The, that's what the shirt says in the VCN store.
1: Like yes. I, we don't we don't have a friggin' long shots t-shirt. What's what's up with
2: that? Like we gotta get that. <laughs> yeah, we going, we, guess, we
1: need so. we need to get one.
2: Yeah, we gotta we gotta get that going. But uh appreciate it as Kelly said to, to echo that, appreciate each and every one of you guys out there um listening to each and every week. And and honestly, if you have gotten anything from this podcast and you haven't taken the time it really does help us to get those reviews and in the, in the ratings and stuff in the podcast. It does help us climb the charts, and it just makes us a little bit more credible, and more people will start listening to us as they search for the podcast as well. So really do appreciate you taking the time to do that if you don't mind. And you can catch us over on the Twitter machine for our thoughts all off season long. Of course, we'll be talking a bunch of football as we head into the NFL and college football as well. For Wes, for Kelly, I'm Matt. Good luck in the NFL bet.